0: When you uh, hear the phrase the kingdom of God, what do you think of? What do you think of? What's that about? Sounds so simple, very profound. Matter of fact, it takes up a good portion of the whole Bible. Of course, in the New Testament, you'll see Jesus preaching the kingdom of God constantly using that terminology. What does it mean? Well, That's what we're dealing with today. Kingdom of God, there's so much to it. It's very important. It's a foundational subject for Christianity. As Americans, we have a government that's not ruled by a king, and that's good. Um, we're not too familiar with how majesty's work how it works in some countries. There are very few that really are today that really have uh, a kingdom uh, in the sense of having a king. And basically, uh, in England, you have a king or a queen in that case. But uh, really, it's just symbolic. They they really don't run the government. It's just in terms of uh, royalty. Uh, The world has pretty well moved away from kings, kingdoms, kind of uh, different than what it was back in the biblical times. But we know that a king is one who has power, authority, dominion, rulership. That's why we get outraged today when we see one who has all the power, all the authority, all the sovereignty that a, a king or a leader can have, he may not be called a king, but he is known as a tyrant or as a dictator. And usually that's the case. Uh, so it's people like us that try to liberate people from those who have absolute dominion over us. And such as our nation has been involved in others' wars because of that. We have a, a system here that I think has worked pretty good. The thing is you have men Involved in it. And man, we know, has a tendency or the nature to sin. And you give a man all power, he will be totally corrupted too, won't he? And that's why we have checks and balances here. We have three stages of government to check each other off. And still yet they have difficulty... It's because man's sin. But we wouldn't want a monarchy either with one person leading, with one man, with nobody checking and balancing him. But what we have and what we think of when we think of uh, royal majesty in that way, our society actually disdains Because it is precisely against what we believe in, what the way a government should be run, is against what God has in mind as far as He rules in an absolute authority. Now, we as Christians, we do want that, and we are of two kingdoms in the sense. Yes, we live in this nation; we're citizens here, but we're citizens of a much higher kingdom. Armor. And that will be for eternity. But God claims for Himself absolute supremacy, absolute sovereignty, absolute authority and power. And He has free will to do anything that He wants. He is the one who has free will. He will do His will without any kind of restraint. He is the king of everything. Every person, everything, God is king. And that's why the kingdom is such a critical aspect of biblical understanding. This kingdom is so important to understand the idea of the rule of God in His sovereignty and His kingdom. So we're going to try to go into a a little deeper thinking about this kingdom. We read it. We read over it. We have an idea, have a pretty good idea of that kingdom. Yes, we do. But Jesus constantly preached the kingdom of God. And we'll we'll see that. It's very important. Let's just see if the kingdom is as important as we are purporting it to be. So what we're going to do is we're just going to look at Luke for a moment, where we have been, and where we are going. What we're going to see is it occurs in here quite more frequently than maybe that we would think of or remember. numerous occasions, in chapter 1, verse 33, you get this and This is even before the birth of Jesus. The angel of Mar- uh, angel told Mary that her son would reign over the house of Jacob forever, and that his kingdom would have no end. You know, we know that. We've heard that. We've read it. We know. Let's go to Luke chapter four, verse forty-three, I believe. Four forty-three. We're just going through Luke folks. Not everything. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also. For I was sent for this purpose. He was sent for the purpose of preaching the kingdom of God. That's why he came here. To preach the kingdom of God. Well, That was very early on in his Galilean ministry. That was where his ministry started off He knew full well why He was here, what His purpose was about. Chapter 6, verse 20. Turning His gaze toward His disciples, He began to say, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. That's what He preaches about. He says, for yours is the kingdom of God. You are poor in spirit. Go to chapter 7, verse 28. I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John, yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. The kingdom of God. This is in Luke. We've seen all of these all the way through in our study in Luke chapter 8, verse 2. also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary who was called Magdalene from whom seven demons and God... Uh-oh. Um, I think I missed something. It, uh, I'll tell you what. It was... Um, did I do... I did 7.28, right? I'm not so sure what I did there. I missed a verse. Or I... Uh, uh, oh. Down in Verse 10. And he said, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. To the rest it's in parables. So that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. The ones who are his will see and understand. And these mysteries of the kingdom of God. Uh, Go to chapter 9, verse 11. But the crowds were aware of this, followed Him and welcomed them. He began speaking to them about the kingdom of God and curing those who had need of healing. The kingdom of God. Go to, uh, I think, verse 27, chapter 9. This is easy to turn to today. Mm -hmm. But I say to you truthfully, there are some of those standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. This message is saturated with the kingdom of God. Look at verse 60, same chapter. Chapter 9. But He said to them, "Him, allow the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God, proclaim it everywhere. The kingdom of God. Chapter eleven, verse twenty. By by Beelzebul, cast out demons. By whom do your sons cast them out? So they'll be your judges. Uh, was it nineteen? It is in 20, okay. But if I cast out demons what the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Continues on. Chapter 12, verse 31. Seek for His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. He preached on. Chapter 13. Chapter 14. The kingdom. Chapter 16. Chapter 17. Chapter 18. Of course, we're in 17. He breaks the kingdom particularly in the 18th chapter in verse 29. And He said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God. Will not receive many times as much as this time and in the age to come eternal life. Uh, You go on, chapter 19, chapter 21, chapter 22, chapter 23. This is just in the book of Luke. Jesus is here preaching the kingdom. You look in Matthew, you'll see the kingdom of heaven mentioned a lot. Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. Same thing. It's really saying the same thing. kingdom of heaven. It's here. He's preaching a kingdom that had arrived already. He was the king. And there he is. He's right there with the people. His kingdom was there. When you have a king, that means you have a kingdom. The king is there. The kingdom is there now, doesn't this grab our interest a little bit? This should really make us start thinking, okay, how important is this am I preaching the kingdom of God? Is this about me living the kingdom of God right it's crucial that we understand how we are to live in god's kingdom let's uh let's stand let's take uh our passage today in uh, 17, Luke, we're doing 20 and 21. Now, having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. No, will they say, Look, here it is, or there it is, for behold, The kingdom of God is in your midst. Let's pray. Father, as we enter into a passage that deals so much with the very heart of Christ and His preaching, He is the King. He has a kingdom. There's so much to this kingdom that it's not something that the way that most people would think it would be. And yet, we have it here revealed throughout the Old Testament. And right here in the New Testament, as we read the very words here of Christ, help us to understand this importance. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 The now and the not yet. That's what we're expounding on today. Basically, the now. Next week will be the not yet. That pretty well tell us what we think of the kingdom. Pharisees, here in verse uh, 20, questioning Jesus fact of the matter is, the Pharisees actually believed in the kingdom. Did you know that? They really did. And we might look at it later, but they actually believed in a millennial kingdom. In a real sense. It really piqued their interest because they liked to talk about the kingdom. They've heard Jesus mention the kingdom many times frequently. So they asked this question. But I would venture to say, that it is really not asked with sincerity. It's not something I really want to hear Jesus answer and then believe every word that he says about it. Matter of fact, we know that he, uh, at least they, are hostile to Christ. If you turn back to chapter 11 of Luke and verse 53, after he's taught them and given the woes to the lawyers. He left there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to be very hostile and to question Him closely on many subjects. That sounds like chapter 17, right? There were many other subjects. They tried to get to them all. What's the reason? Well, next verse says, plotting against Him to catch Him and something he might say. So do you think they're trying to get some real information that they don't know about the kingdom? Not at all. They're there to trip him up. We see that frequently, don't we? The thing is, he's got the truth. They have truth, but they do not apply it. And they twist it and pervert it, and they're trying to discredit him. So, knowing their, their track record that they have, they're very skeptical of Jesus. So, what is the kingdom of God? Something like that. I don't know for sure, but wouldn't you probably say that's kind of what they're saying here and meaning it. They think of Him as a phony. They think of Him as one who's a fraud, a charlatan. One who is trying to get a kingdom a people to follow Him. And He's not the king. He doesn't have a kingdom. General Jewish belief is, is that when the kingdom of God comes, it will start off with a bang. And what are they going to do? They're going to free the people of Israel from Roman rule, establish the authority quickly, defeat the Romans, and have their own government. That's their idea. He's a carpenter, as far as they're concerned, from nowhere. Nazareth, and that's nowhere. With a ragtag band of fishermen who don't know anything. And he has no sign. There's no sign of a coming kingdom. That's the thought. He's not going to defeat the Romans and bring in a glorious new age. So, How are the Pharisees thinking of this when they ask this question? Well, they have their own theological format. Of course, you know, they take the law, which they're very proud of, and then they explain what that law means in their own terms, and they actually rewrite it by rethinking it, and they have their own little religious system. As far as the kingdom is concerned, like I say, there's a lot of... uh, orthodox beliefs that they would have that would be biblical, but they take this kingdom in a way that would be very fleshly. How are they going to judge when the Messiah comes? How are they going to know which one it is? Well, they have their own system. And it would be one that would be forceful upon the Romans. And that He would be able to give signs to them. Of course, He has... A, given many miracles to them, hasn't He? they what the parables that they couldn't even understand. Because why give them a sign? If it does no good, they can't see the signs. So, the concept of the kingdom that they had was secular, it was earthly, it was materialistic. And that's what they had in their minds. If somebody shows up like that, Jesus did not fit in their preconceived misgivings here. Their expectations. They had a lot of biblical verses that they would be able to quote. What is the biblical view? What does it mean? So, we take as they ask this question as to when the kingdom of God was coming. So we'll concentrate on that for a moment. The kingdom of God. What is it? There's three aspects that we're going to look at here today. Under C it <coughs> says the kingdom of God, and you'll notice that there are three there. Basically, that's how most of your theologians take it down through the hundreds of years couple of thousand years and even beyond that there is first kingdom that has a sovereign God the one and true God he's king over all the universe it deals with him being creator he creates he owns this is mine God says I will do with it what I will do nobody will influence me is sovereign and this is dealing with the external, external universal kingdom. You can look at it, can't you? You can go out and look at this creation. See, and everything that's there, even things that are man-made, he owns it. He rules over this creation. Everything he created is under his sovereign power. Now, this is kingdom of God, basics, 101. Because I think everybody would catch this, right? Let's take a few verses out of the Psalms just about God's sovereignty. We know this. Matter of fact, we love to talk about the sovereignty of God, don't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Psalm 10, 16. The writer of Psalms here frequently talks about the sovereign God over His kingdom. 10.16 The Lord is king forever and ever. Nations have perished from His land. But He's forever. The forever king. That's basic theology. You know what it gets me when we talk about God's sovereignty? I think every Christian would agree with that. He would have all the churches, all the denominations that are that are biblical at, at all, and they would say, "Yes, God is sovereign." The question is, does He have absolute sovereignty? Does He have ab- absolute sovereignty in salvation? That's the whole thing. I believe in the absolute sovereignty of God in saving people. That means He has the power and authority to save people. He does do that. He is sovereign in every aspect, especially that. That's what gives me comfort. Otherwise, what would keep me from walking away? We were talking about perseverance this morning, right? He preserves us because He wants to. He saves us. He keeps us. He will glorify us because that is His plan. That is His purpose. That is His sovereign free will of God. So we go to chapter 29, verse 10. We're just using a few. We're going to only use three out of Psalms this morning. You could just go on and on about that. The Lord sat as king at the flood. Yes, the Lord sits as king forever. So this is talking about a king and his kingdom. And it says forever. That goes back to the Old Testament time. goes back before that, doesn't it? He's always been this king. 103, 19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty rules over all. Simple, basic, sovereign verses. And any Christian would have to agree with that. If they don't agree with that, then I would question if they were a believer. I mean, this, you know, if he's not sovereign, then then who's over Him? That's the God I want. There's nobody over Him. He's sovereign over all. That's real easy, but yet it's very profound, isn't it? So the Old Testament declares that God is the eternal King of the universe. He rules over the whole earth, all the kingdoms of the earth. The kings and the kingdoms rise and fall. But God's kingdom is Forever. He's the judge of all the world. He reigns in righteousness and peace and joy over all the affairs of mankind. That's right. He is judge over all the affairs. That's where a lot of people would say, wait a minute, man has free will. But God's free will always trumps man's free will, doesn't it? It is God's Ruling over all the affairs of mankind. He raises up kings, he disposes of kings, he raises up nations, and he disposes of nations. Is God doing that? Well, man is responsible, but who's really doing it? God is. He's the one that makes the boundaries for the nations, acts. Paul was speaking in Athens and he was talking about this God. That The boundaries are set by God and all the different kings and kingdoms that have been there. Psalm 145 says, They shall speak of the glory of Your kingdom and talk of Your power The glory of the majesty of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. There's the Psalms again. This first view here is the grand, universal, external kingdom. People should have some kind of a basic understanding they can kind of see it can't they this world the universal kingdom romans 1 talks about those people who say there is no god and yet whether they recognize it or not god is king over them too they one day say jesus is lord as in romans Everyone in this first kingdom aspect that we talk about is subject to God, whether they know it or not, believe it or not, or don't want that or do want it. The thing is, is that He is the King and they are subjects, we are subjects to Him. And so that's the first aspect of the kingdom. That's pretty easy, isn't it? He rose over all. Here it is. That's the outward, the external Now let's go to the second one, and this is the internal. This is where it gets to a particular people. His regenerated ones, his that are in the family. He is the king over them. The first one dealt with creation. The second aspect deals with recreation. We mean recreation. Well, we are recreations, right? He saved us. He gave us a new person, a new man, a spiritual man, based on who Christ is. And so that's an internal, personal, spiritual kind of kingdom now. So we have the one that people can identify in a sense of seeing, in a sense. But we have this spiritual aspect where the indwelling of God's Spirit comes to live in man. Skubel wrote a little book called The Life of God in Man. The life of God that lives in man. He lives inside His own people. The Holy Spirit indwells there. We are the temple of the living God. When Jesus was here, He was the temple of the living God. They had pictures of what that was by having a temple and tabernacles. Tabernacle means to to dwell, uh, to pitch a tent, to live in. And Christ came and He was and He is and now He resides today in the church. And in each Christian, He lives there. So the internal personal kingdom is spiritual and we know that God had a talking Relationship with Adam and with Noah, with Abraham, gave the law to Moses. All these guys spoke with Jesus literally. He gave them things that they would pass on to the people. Then there were the judges, the prophets, the kings. It's all pictures. But he finally, you know, yes, the nation of Israel, and so they become a kingdom. Now, really, they have the king, God. The thing is, they wanted a king like everybody else had, where there was a man. He says, okay, I'll do that. But they will do things you will not like. One of them is taxes. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of things that the king is going to do or that government that you're not going to like, but it does represent my ultimate king. He used David as really the illustration of who the Messiah would be ultimately. He was just a man. He was David. Yes, he sinned. But from that line of David sought after God's own heart, There was a line that there were some good kings. Many of them were bad kings. But it was the line of David. They would sit on the throne. It's the line of Judah from that tribe. Ultimately, a Messiah would come. It was there as as a picture. So there was the kingdom of Israel. They actually had king. So it's manifested, this kingdom that is invisible, that is spiritual, it was still shown in pictures and and of course in Israel uh, you see so many different pictures there that the people can get. You know, ABC, it's like building blocks. One, two, three. Let's give them a temple and whenever they bring a literal animal there, it's representing my son who's going to be sacrificed on the altar. And the priests are there and they're representing mediatorship. Christ was the ultimate mediator, right? He's the prophet. He's the priest, a mediator. He's the king. That's His titles. Prophet, priest, king. That's how we relate to God. we He became the prophet. He became the priest for us. He's the go-between between us and God. And He is the king. So they had pictures what salvation was, what it was to live in the kingdom. He says, and I'll give you a new covenant, the prophets say. Isaiah, Ezekiel, throughout. Something that promises the people that this kingdom will come. Right now, they have a, a spiritual kingdom at, at that time there. Well, manifested by the kings of Israel. Christ came, His first coming. This kingdom is manifested in the person of Jesus. And really, He is the King. He has a kingdom. So He's a culminating mediator here. And you might remember in Isaiah it said, A child will be born, a son will be given, and universal government will be upon His shoulders, and His name will be Wonderful Counselor of the Mighty God. Because He's the Father of eternity. So Jesus Christ comes into the world, is King because Jesus is God. He's the Creator God. He's the Sustainer God. He owns it all. It's all His. And He comes to establish the kingdom. Not only visibly, they've had that, but now it's dealing with the heart. and In the Old Testament, it deals with the heart. Constantly, but now He set, shows it in a way, this is what this is about. He came preaching to them the kingdom of God. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, believe. Kingdom of heaven is here. So that's the spiritual aspect uh, manifested by the kings of Israel manifested by Jesus himself even though it's spiritual he physically was here it you know he could be seen in that sense look in John 3 3 it's a question that is made by Nicodemus Jesus says truly truly I say to you unless you be born again it cannot see the kingdom of God now what all we've been talking about this hour that kingdom Old Testament all passages in Luke about the kingdom Jesus <laughs> is saying you know about the kingdom if you were Israelite if you were a Jew would you know about the kingdom of God yeah, <laughs> obviously, that's what it's about. says, so i tell you something. Unless you're born again, unless you're regenerated, you can't go to the kingdom of God. Yeah, but I'm Jewish. I go to the temple. I sacrifice. Unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. That really got Nicodemus wondering, didn't it? Of course, it goes on there. That's a famous John 3. Let's look at John 18, verse 36. Jesus answered. This is Pilate questioning him, the Roman... Says, you know, matter of fact, in 35, Pilate said, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation, and the chief priest delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting. That's what they expected, right? so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. It's the spiritual realm is His kingdom. He's there. He doesn't care about the Roman armies, who is in the government. It's Jesus here. And it's about establishing the kingdom in the heart unless you be born again. With Christ ascended. Now we've seen the manifestations of this invisible kingdom, right? Actually, the first one was dealing with the physical kingdom, His creation, external. And we're looking at the internal. He manifested the kingdom through the kings, through Jesus, And when Jesus left, He ascended to the heavens. He left the church. And the Spirit of God who comes in to indwell the people, and we now, folks, are the manifestation of the Kingdom of God. The Kingdom of God is dealing with all the people, all the saints in the Old Testament, all the way up through the time of Jesus and 2000 years later and here we are in the in this church period where there've been so many people have gone before us they are the believers they are the saints and there's a manifestation of the kingdom of God and you're looking at it right here you're looking around to you, to your other brothers and sisters They're the kingdom. We manifest it. Who can see that? Unbelievers can't see that unless they are born again. This is the kingdom. So we've seen two facets where He is ruling over all, reigning over all, His creation. And then the spiritual aspect where He reigns in our hearts. and rules there. So there is a physical, there is a spiritual, there is a future. We've seen the now, and there is the not yet. And we'll be looking at that next week because he's going to turn around and start teaching the disciples Okay, about that kingdom of God that you've always looked for, about that millennial kingdom. I'm going to tell you some things about that. And that's what we'll look at next week. That's the not yet. But for the moment, if you don't have the not yet, you're not going into, you know. If you don't have the now, you're not going into the not yet. Unless you're born again, you will not enter the kingdom of God. Yeah, but I'm a Jew. Yeah, but I go to church. Oh, I've been. There. I went through the nursery, and I was there Sunday, Sunday nights, and and every night of the week, whenever there was revival, for two weeks, every night. Didn't want to go there, but I went and my mom and dad told me to go. <laughs> and I said no, and then they drugged me there. <laughs> there is the ultimate future kingdom. And I put millennial kingdom because there's a thousand year reign of Christ here on earth. All of the Jews... All of the Pharisees, uh, uh, I say all the Jews, because the Sadducees really didn't believe in a kingdom. They were the liberals, <laughs> <laughs> and they didn't believe much anything. Uh-huh. Pharisees were basically premillennialist; they all believed the Messiah would come to establish a kingdom. The kingdom would be glorious. A lion would die down, uh, die down with a lamb, lie down with a lamb, I can say that. Uh, Little children, little infants, uh, you know, little children, they play in a snake pit. (laughs) You have a river flowing from the city of Jerusalem out of the temple. You have the whole topography of the planet changed during that time. Jerusalem is lifted up high. It's a golden city. Peace, joy, comfort. The absence of poverty and sickness, death, or at least have a long life. Uh, we know that if you died at a hundred years, the prophet said you die. Uh, that's like a baby. right? So that in that thousand year kingdom, there is death. Uh, we're not talking about believers that, that are glorified once you have died As far as this body is concerned, he can get a glorified body forever, and we will be there. There will also be people that will inherit that kingdom that were living at that time as the the Jews would go on into the kingdom, and they populate there, and they live, and they die, uh, but they live for long periods of time, hundreds of years, Holy Spirit would be poured out. They had some pretty good eschatology. These are some of the things that they believed. It'd be a, there would be a time of tribulation or a time of trouble, even like birth pains. There would be a prophet like Elijah, right? Messiah would, would come. But the nations would ally to fight the Messiah when He would come. And He would defeat them. There would be scattered Jews from all over the world that would come back and return to Israel. Israel would become the center of the world, especially Jerusalem. Messiah would establish the kingdom, it would be a time of peace and righteousness and glory and joy. That's some of the things they believed. You go right on. That's what they're thinking right now, and they're going to be there. Jesus says, "Okay, you ask me the question? I'm going to give you the answer. I'm sure they really are going to like this. That's the problem. They don't like what He says. It agitates them every time He gives the truth of the Word of God. Here's what it really means. It wasn't that they didn't want the kingdom... Is it? They're looking for the king. But the kind of kingdom that he's talking about. Let's go to Matthew 12, 38, and 39. Matthew 12, 38, 39. They, in verse 38, they said, Teacher, we want a sign from you. Remember this? But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The Pharisees are demanding a sign. He says... Mm -hmm. I'm not going to give you a sign. It doesn't do any good. There's one sign. It's the resurrection. Three days, three nights. He gives it in a veiled way. They don't get it. He says, the sign that I've come here, and this is for real, is my resurrection. Everything is centered and focused on that resurrection, isn't it? The death, burial, resurrection. 1 Corinthians 1, 22. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. We've heard that before, Emily. But we preach Christ crucified to Jews, a stumbling block, to Gentiles, foolishness. So there, again, dealing with signs, and that's really what they're looking for. They have to get some kind of special sign that they would know that He had come. Signs are not necessary. Because Jesus is the sign. So the Jews seek for those signs. The kingdom is not going to come with signs for them. To be observed, Jesus says, He answered them in in, in our Luke uh, 17.20, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs. To Jews, they want the signs. So that's the first one about the kingdom. We just spoke about that. Let's go to that second one, part B there. God's kingdom is not universally recognized. He says, it's not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is. Look, here it is, or hey, it's over here, this is, this is the kingdom. They had no concept of the spiritual internal kingdom. They wanted to, what's a sign? It's outward. And if they can have that outward sign, then they can be convinced. Well, they've already had it. But the sign isn't going to do any good for them. He is, that sign. So he says, you can look at it. You can see it with your own eyes, and you still don't believe the reality of the kingdom's presence. You you can see it with your own two eyes. But, of course, Jesus said Nicodemus, unless you be born again, you're not going to get it. They saw his miracles, didn't they? How many has he done? Three or four? Three or four thousand? There's not enough books that could contain all the miracles that he did. How many is it? I don't know. There was a ton of them. What more evidence did they need? All oh, the hardness of man's heart. And if God didn't convert you, you would be just like the Pharisee. I would be like the Pharisee. See, that's what we all were. We were righteous Pharisees thinking that we had everything down the way it should be. God's kingdom doesn't come with signs It's not universally recognized. Look, here it is. There it is. There's a sign over here. Third one, and that's really the essence of what we're speaking about today as we get set up for next week. But first, what's important is this inward reality of the kingdom of God that's internal, not external. They missed it. He says, "For behold, the Kingdom of God is in your midst, or another translation, the Kingdom of God is in you. The kingdom of God is within you. the kingdom of God is at hand um in your midst in you." I don't know. What does that mean? Well, it's dealing with inside. It's dealing with invisible, not external. The word there in the Greek is intos. You know what it means? Inside. Now, this is a tough element here. God is in your midst and He's speaking to Pharisees. And he's saying your, or you. So, does that mean the Pharisees have the kingdom of God in them? No, we couldn't say that, could we? It's very generic here when he's saying you, the kingdom of God is within you, or here in my version, your midst, in your midst. And that translation actually in the New American Standard is probably using that phrase in your midst because they don't want to say it's in you because it sounds like that it's dealing with the Pharisees. And we'll take a couple of things home with this and you know, you can debate it amongst your, your, your own self if you like. I, I will present a, a couple of different ideas that I kind of grasp both of them. Because I definitely don't think he's speaking to the Pharisees here in the sense that they have the kingdom of God. But the disciples are there. Remember, there is a mixed crowd all along, right? Look, you want the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God has to be in you. Um, The kingdom is inside. It's not outside. Uh, to, To Nicodemus, you must be born again born again how? Physically? You know, Nicodemus says that. What is it? No, we're talking about a spiritual regeneration. A new man. So, this kingdom is inside. It's not outside. It's not external. It's not visible. It's in your midst. You just can't see it. They couldn't see it. They were still looking from their perspective. Where's it at? You know, they're trying to see it. They want visible evidence. So it's like he's saying, until you're part of the internal, personal, invisible kingdom, you'll never experience the external kingdom. And that that kingdom that is to come is external as well as spiritual. So he said. It's in you. The kingdom of God has to be in you. Whether He's speaking to the Pharisees or believers or people who are doubting, they don't know for sure, the skeptics, what have you. He says, it has to be in you. It's, it's all for you who the king lives in. The king has to live in this kingdom. He has to live in your heart. The Greek text literally says the kingdom of God is in you. And so therefore, that's why they would say it's in your midst. And that's easy to understand too, isn't it? So that's why they would put, that would translate that, in your midst. And it's okay, but it does mean inside. But he's saying he's here. He is right here amongst you. And we would have to agree with that too, wouldn't we? Not only is does He have to be in you, but He's right there. He's right at the door. This kingdom of God. It was in their midst. They were missing it. And looking for which was future, the Pharisees were missing the whole point of what was set before them. He was standing there. He's been there doing the things of God. And he's. it's like saying, here's a sign for you. The king is here. I'm here. I'm in your midst. So whether you want to take it as literal, you know, the, the sense of the spiritual aspect, the kingdom of God has to be in you. Or you can say, oh, I don't know, I like that other one. He's in their midst. He's right there. We can take both of those, can't we? Um, he's a sign. He, he's right there. I'm right in the middle of you. I, I'm right among you. I'm right here. I'm in your midst. <clears throat> the kingdom, it would be what? Now. This is the now part of the kingdom. Well, did the apostles get it at that time? It was still pretty shallow. They need a Spirit of God in them to be able to understand the things of God. It seemed like nobody was really getting this kingdom. But the apostles did eventually get it. Let's go to Acts chapter 1. Jesus has been crucified. He rose on the third day. And he, there, we're, we're speaking of 40 days teaching the apostles what the kingdom is about. In verse 3 says to these, He also presented Himself alive after His suffering by many convincing proofs appearing to them over a period of forty days, and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. There we go. That's what he's been doing for three and a half years. Speaking of the kingdom of God. Now he's saying it, and he's resurrected. They're starting to get it. Getting it they still have questions. Verse six. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, "Lord, is it at this time now that you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? Is this is this time that, of the restoration that all the Jewish people have been looking for all these years? Is it now because you've been resurrected? You had to you had to die. You had to suffer, and we, we kind of starting to get that now." And you had to rise from the dead, and you did, and you're glorified. Now, is is it any time? Wouldn't you be thinking that way too? Mm -hmm. This must be it. This is what it's about. Now I see a lot of those Old Testament prophecies are coming true. And this must be it. You know what he says? It's not for you to know times or epics which the Father has fixed by His own authority. But I will tell you what's going to happen now. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be My witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. There it is. He says, I'm not going to tell you. But I will tell you, the Kingdom of God is going to be residing in you. He didn't say that. He said the Holy Spirit has come upon you. What's that mean? Holy Spirit is now going to reside, to dwell in you, so that you will have the power to give the truth of the kingdom of God. They are now starting to get it. After he had forty days, and there was ten days where they prayed, you know, in the upper room, and after fifty days. Which is called, which was the feast of Pentecost. On that very day, the Holy Spirit came with power and dwelt in the believers at that time, as they had met and they had prayed, and it happened. And Jesus had said, You will receive power, and the Holy Spirit comes. You know what? Peter preaches a sermon that just nailed it all. And you read that in, uh, in Acts 1 or Acts 2, I mean, I'm sorry, there. And, you know, it talks about all the verses uh, that he was borrowing from from the Old Testament. Talking about death, burial, resurrection. It's all dealing with the kingdom of God now. Okay, let's scoot through Acts real quick. Let's move ahead. Acts 8, verse 12. But when they believed Philip, preaching the good news about the what? The kingdom of God and the name of Christ, Jesus Christ. They were being baptized, men and women like. There was a preaching of the good news. That's Philip. Let's move on. Chapter 14, verse 22. They went to different churches all around where they had been before They came back. They preached to them, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. You can't get to the kingdom of God until there be suffering and tribulations. There we go again. What do they do? They're talking about the kingdom of God as they taught now, Chapter 19, verse 8. We're just using a few here, okay? He entered the synagogue, continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. This was Paul at Ephesus. You remember that place, Ephesus? And he wrote a, a, a letter later about, you know, to the Ephesians. And here he was doing what persuading the, the things of the kingdom of God chapter twenty verse twenty five and now I behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face he 's telling the Ephesian elders that hey listen uh you 're not going to to see me here i 've got to go on and um you remember whenever I was there, I preached the kingdom of God. Chapter 28, verse 23, last chapter in the book of Acts. The disciples, Apostles, disciples, this is what they're doing with this news. Verse 23, When they had set a day for Paul that came to him at his lodging in large numbers. He's in prison in jail, kind of like a household jail. He was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. The kingdom of God is about all the doctrines of the gospel, of the good news, Kingdom of God. It's all the truth of God. It's about who He is, about what His people are. So, we solemnly testify the rule and the reign of God in our hearts. The kingdom of God is in your midst. The kingdom of God is for now. You must be in the kingdom of God. You must repent. And believe here's the evidence, and he gives all the prophecies in the Old Testament about the death, the sufferings, the burial of, of Christ, right all of those things, his ascension, all the way up and to what the future kingdom would be. I mean, you could go on and on with people, couldn't you? The truths, this is the kingdom. So what do we, what can we learn here well god's kingdom is not tied with any kind of government power. God's kingdom is not dependent on any kind of particular expression of what any kind of government or political or earthly rule is. After the first three centuries, truth be known, Christianity was for a period of time the established religion for all the Roman Empire. And you were automatically a Christian whether you wanted to be or not. There was a lot of good things about that There was freedom, where they had been punished. They had been killed, persecuted. Was it necessary for that particular time period for the church to thrive, to grow? No. It wasn't necessary at all. kingdom of God was established by the Lord Jesus Christ and it's not dependent upon any kind of support of the state. Whether you get any support from the state or not, the kingdom of God marches on. keeps going. God brings in His kingdom. Matter of fact, as the church has been going forth in a lot of countries where there has been nothing but persecution. Sometimes in countries that where Christianity is tolerated, which is where we're at now. We're tolerated. Eventually, it'll go to the next stage. But uh, societies that are on the rise, the kingdom keeps on moving. Um, in the last 2,000 years every outward circumstance that the church could be in persecution whether it be just suffering, whether it be death or whether it be a place where you're free to worship and free to say anything that you want and everything in between all those kind of circumstances and God says keep marching on doesn't matter doesn't matter about the Roman government, the church marched on. Here in our society, whether it be Republican or Democrat, whether it be liberal, conservative, the kingdom of God is marching on. Now, that's not to say that we Christians are not to care about those kind of things. We are citizens here, and we are to be citizens and use that vote and and to get truth out on it, but always behind it all is God's truth, isn't it? And really, what we really want is to have enough peace to be able to say it freely here. But what if we couldn't say it freely? The kingdom is to march on. Keep preaching the good news. Don't take our privileges lightly. We still have them here, and I say, pray for this country. We are are ordered to pray. Pray for our leaders. But the Gospel is marching on. The kingdoms, they come and they go. Our country came, and it will sometime go. They all have. That's what God said will happen. But don't take your privilege lightly that you have as a citizen, but at the same time I'm saying don't bank on any man, woman, child, any kind of government, any kind of education, anything that's offered out there. Don't be banking on that because that's idolatry. We are to be banking on the fact of who Christ is and what His kingdom is about. What's the kingdom of God like? It's like a mustard seed. You remember that? Luke 13, 18-20. It starts out small. Characteristic doesn't look like much. Just started with a, you know, just a few. Started off with the apostles after Christ resurrected, and there was 120 praying in that church. Peter preached, he had thousands saved. Preached again, more thousands were saved, and it kept expanding out all across, not only Israel, from Jerusalem. To Judea, to Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth, the kingdom marches on. Can you see it? No. It's internal. You can't look at a building and say, that's the kingdom of God right there. That's kingdom hall. (laughs) No. No, 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 no. The kingdom are believers, that's the church. And it's all over the world. The church is everywhere. Well, do you get the already and the not yet? As the theologians call it. Next week we'll get into the not yet. Colossians chapter four, verse eleven says this as we get ready to close. Mark, Jesus, who is called justice, are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God. Did you catch that? that time there were only a few there that were fellow workers of the kingdom of God how do we close this up how do we get application here how do we wrap this package up well you're in the kingdom right if you're true, true spiritual believers that means we're fellow workers in this kingdom we have a message and what is the message the kingdom of God what did they preach what did Jesus preach Repent. Believe. Be regenerated. Right? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. We preach the kingdom. It's all about the kingdom. It's all about the king. The king, if you have a king, you have what? You have a kingdom. This is kingdom. Well, see the king... But we sure know who that king is about and what he's doing. So we're part of this expanding spiritual kingdom. You look at what Peter's message was in Acts 2 and how that spread on out and then the apostles took it out everywhere. We preach the kingdom. We declare the kingdom. And in so doing, we're basically saying that Jesus must be acknowledged as king. There's no one else. Let's pray. Father, what a great God You are. And You help us understand what it is that we are living about. Where we live right now, we are part of Your kingdom, invisibly. The unbelieving world has no idea what this kingdom is about. Thank You for letting us in on what it is so that we can understand and the indwelling Spirit of God and the Word of God tells us what this kingdom is and it's presenting the Gospel to ourselves. We must preach that Gospel of grace to ourselves each day. We're saved by Your sovereign grace, Your sovereign will, Your sovereign purpose. To put us into this great plan, Lord, is staggering. We sit here in awe of this tremendous plan of yours and the King and His kingdom. And we can't wait, Lord, to keep presenting the King until that day the King comes back. And we see it in all its glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.